Hello, and welcome to Broad Street Hooligans, a podcast hosted by the brothers of Flyer Lee Love. Let's go, Flyers. Flyers Nation, that's right, we're back. Well, I'm back. Uh, so Austin is, Austin's a very busy man. And he is not going to be joining me for this episode, so I'm going to be flying solo. Um, You can call me Han Solo. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, so I'm just going to be doing this by myself tonight. He's a very, very, very busy man right now. He is actually getting ready for his academy stuff. He's got a girlfriend, you know, all the important things. He's got life happening. Uh, But I'm here with you. I'm here with you for at least this week. Um, and listen, you know what? It's summer. The only thing going on right now is baseball. Everyone's down the shore. No one's caring about anything. Everyone forgets who the Flyers even are, except for me and probably like four other people. Just kidding. We know you guys love the Flyers, bunch of hockey fans that are listening to all forms of media coverage brought to you by the good folks everywhere in Flyers Nation. Um, so... We got a lot to cover. We got some things that have happened over the last really couple of weeks now since July 1 hit with free agency, um, most of which, I mean, has probably been covered a ton by everyone who's out there already covering the Flyers, um, you know, whether it's mainstream media or some of the other media outlets that are actually good at covering the Flyers outside of, you know, the mainstream ones, So, which, you know, is a story for another time. It actually may get into that in a little bit when we talk about the lineup projections. Um, But yeah, so you know what? It's summer, though. We're going to have a good time. Uh, So let's just kind of get right into this. And I guess the first thing I really want to talk about is... Actually, I just need to say thank you. I need to say thank you to Ron Hextall. Ron, you avoided giving astronomical term and astronomical annual average value to players who hit the free agent market that probably did not deserve it. Um, I was a proponent, if you listen to our last episode, I was a proponent of Calvin DeHaan. Now, I think he's a great player. Um, I think that he is a good second pairing, maybe not even good second, he's a decent second pairing defenseman. He got quite a bit of money and quite a bit of term for someone who missed half of last season with shoulder injuries. Now, I understand it was a surgery, so, you know, the recovery timeline for that is what it is. But for only to play half a season and then to get the term and the money that he got was just kind of remarkable. Um, I honestly, I don't even know how much was it. I'm going to look it up right now so I don't screw this up. Um let me see here. It looks like he signed for four years, eighteen point two million over the four years, which comes out to four point five five million. Um, that's a lot of money for a guy who's. I mean, yeah, he's a decent again. He's a decent second pairing defenseman, but he missed half of the season last year, and I just. And I guess what I'm saying is really, Ron, just thank you for avoiding those kind of contracts because. You know, and, and he, he's, he stuck to his word. Hextall stuck to his word. 
which I think is very important. And I think it's, you know, people were getting a bit frustrated with the, um, you know, Ron sits on his hands and does nothing. Well, the only thing that I'll really argue for him in that is he does it so that he avoids blocking the prospects that he's, you know, drafted and been developing over these last, you know, four years since he got here. Um, so he's just trying to to make the team better and to um, do that from within because, one, it's cheaper. These players are cost-controlled, really, until they're, you know, 26 years old and they hit um, unrestricted free agency. And there's just a lot more flexibility in that where it allows you to go out and sign someone like James Van Riemsdyk where in your organization you don't really have a shoot-first legitimate goal scorer. You don't have that on the wing, really in your system that is going to be ready to step into a you know second line or first line role immediately. They're not ready. No one in the organization is ready for that. Joel Faraby, yes, he's you know he's probably projects as a, I mean he certainly I think bottoms out as a middle six winger, but his high end upside potential. You're looking at a top line, you know left wing who can score goals. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, he's, he is that, but again, he's not ready right now. He's probably at least one year away, um, potentially two. And by that point, you know, then JVR maybe shifts down. I don't, but at the end of the day, Hextall, thank you for avoiding signing guys to crazy contracts for crazy amounts of money. Um, you know, I miss certainly throwing, you know, 14-year, $110 million contracts at guys like Shea Weber. But, you know, I don't miss being in the crazy cap constraints where we have to call people up and shove people down to the minors and do all these crazy things just to get cap compliant, um, you know, and hope, almost hope that guys like Danny Briere would get injured because then you can, you know, eat their cap space up with, you know, LTIR and not worry about it. And that's just not how... You build a hockey team that's going to contend for a Stanley Cup. It's not how you do it. Um, but, yeah, so speaking of James Van Riemsdyk, uh, he was someone that I brought up in the last episode. I was really I was really surprised that he got $7 million a season, but I think that um, – and hold on first. Pigeon, welcome back. Like, really excited to have you. Um because I'm sure that you're listening to this show, and I'm sure you were curious if I was happy to have you back. I am. I'm very happy to have you back, and I know Austin is too. Um, I, a lot of people were worried about not so much the term in this deal, because, I mean, five years, you look at it, so that'll bring JVR to, um, he will be 33 at the end of this contract, so when the contract expires. So he will be 32 for the last season, and then at the very end of the season he will turn 33 um so when we're you know contending for the cup that year and in the stanley cup finals and winning the stanley cup for the fourth year in a row jvr will be 33 years old that's not that bad i mean listen he's he just had a career year i mean he he had a pretty stellar year for the toronto maple leafs in very limited ice time um so I, you know, I don't think that this is something to really get freaked out about. I don't think this is something that, you know, where the term and the money where fans should be, you know, worried about it. I think it's something you should be excited about because this is, 
exactly one of the biggest holes that needed filling on this team. And it's filled. And Hextall went out and he signed the second biggest free agent that was available. Because, um, so heading into free agency, you had John Tavares and John Carlson. Carlson obviously re-upped with the Washington Capitals. And Tavares was, he was the big fish that was left, which we're going to get to him in a little bit. So hold your horses. I'm not going to get started on that yet. But JVR then became really the, the second, you know, most coveted free agent that was available. And I think that it's, it says a lot about Hextall and his direction right now um, by going out and making a signing like this. Because everyone for, for a couple of years now has been like, where's the big move? Where's the big move? When is he going to make a splash? What is he doing? Why does he sit on his hands? And I think that ultimately it comes down to, you know, just getting these players at the right time with the right deal and not just making moves for the sake of making moves, which is incredibly important in today's NHL with a salary cap the way that it is. Um, This isn't the NBA where you can go out and you can give max contracts to every player and any player you want, and all you have to do is go through some luxury tax loopholes and you can sign basically a super team and like what the Warriors have done. And this is why, I mean, you have the same teams in the finals year after year after year after year. And in the NHL, it creates parity. Um, but how you build a contender that can contend for a cup for a decade um, is you build through the drafting and developing of, of talent in the system and add pieces as necessary um, to, you know, bolster the lineup. So, and that's exactly what Hextall did here. So he goes out and he gets JVR, which, and the, here's the thing with this, because everyone, the five years I don't think is screwing as screwing with as many people. I think it's more the, the, the AAV at 7 million. Um, with the cap going up, it's not a crazy percentage against the cap as what it seems like it would have been the year prior. It's probably more like a, if you went back to last year and JVR is being signed, it's probably more like a $6 million AAV. So to me, I think, yeah, this is a good, good term, good money. Um, and I think the reason that he got actually more than I think people were expecting him to get was because there, is a, there isn't any no movement or no trade clause attached to this, which is very important because when he gets to be, you know, 31, 32, if you really start to see that decline and he's not even able to fill that, you know, third line role anymore or even be an effective fourth liner and he's really just tanked and you want to get some prospects who are ready to jump in now and you can trade him for some kind of asset in return, that's, that's huge. When you don't have to go through all these loopholes like, like, they're go- like the other teams are going through right now, trying to trade players who have these no-movement clauses, have these no-trade clauses where they can block you know, and choose their destination, do whatever they want to do. With JVR, you don't have that. So yes, $7 million a year, it's a little heavy, but you can move him at any time and he has no say about it. So basically all you've given up right now to get JVR is cap space and that's it. Cap space and real dollars, real American dollars, and that's it. And then in the future, you know, let's say Farabee pushes and he's like, I'm ready to jump in and they say, okay, JVR right now, he's a 25, 30 goal scorer for us. Uh, Farabee, we think, 
you know, his first year with the team, maybe 25, but he's going to jump 30, 35. We don't know. We think he's has elite talent, depending on how he's developing. Um, then it gives you the room and it gives you the ability and the flexibility to call up a team who's looking for, you know, a veteran leader, hockey guy, whatever, um, to say, hey, you know, take the last couple of years of JVR's contract. Uh, you know, we'll lead a couple million in salary. And then uh, just give us a few picks. And so you recoup assets to get, you know, after signing in, which is, it's important. So I think that that's something very important for for people to know and for people to understand when it comes to this contract structure. It's huge because almost no one anymore is getting, you know, everyone basically gets no move clauses or no trade clauses or, you know, modified this and that. And, you know, I can submit a list of 12 teams that I don't want to play for. There's none of that with this contract, which is good. Um, however, where this, where JVR really comes into play is the effect on Wayne Simmons. Um, I See, this is a tough one for me because I was all like gung-ho about trading Simmons. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that his trade value probably isn't all that great. Um, I think teams really do the research now with injury-plagued players. Um, except for, you know, Calvin DeHaan, who got, you know, what he got. We already discussed that, though, whatever. Um, but I think they realize he's coming off such a down year. Um, despite he scored a decent amount of goals, I think he had, what, 24 goals? At, and he had a literal – I mean, he tore – I don't – he the pelvic tear. I still can't comprehend that, and I, I don't – I can't even begin to understand how he played through something like that. But he did, and he's a tough guy, and I think that has value. But the question I've started to ask myself is this. So let's say with Simmons, you know, he starts out as your third line right wing, and we'll get to lineup projections in a minute. But let's say Simmons starts out where I have him penciled in at the third line right wing. We're going through the year, and we know, you know, how the Flyers choose their alternate captains or assistant captains, whatever you want to call them. Um, how they determine who gets the A on their sweater, the players vote. So, you know, last year you had Philpula and um, McDonald were split between home and away. I think the Flyers players chose wisely to have McDonald as the, you know, with the A on his chest for the away games. And then Simmons was, was the other one. So it's very telling to me, if, and that's where I think you can kind of discern – who these guys really like having in the locker room. And which is another thing where, you know, thank you, Hextall, for not bringing Philpula back. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Um, so I guess I didn't really touch on that. But we'll actually, we'll get to that in a little bit later because I got some stuff. I got a bone to pick with Lou Lamarillo. Um, but yeah, so where was I? Um, so Simmons, let's say he's at that third line right wing spot where we're all expecting him to be and where he pretty much played most of last year, um, you know, due to all his, all of his injuries. If he's, he's obviously an integral part of the locker room of being on the bench of helping the younger kids move along in their development. And he means a lot to this team. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, yes, all-nice performance is something that is measurable. It's something that is – you can see it on a score sheet. You can look into underlying numbers and statistics all you want. You can, you can visu- visibly and tangibly see all-nice performance. 
But one aspect of hockey that, you know, unless you've played the sport or really on or sports in general, um, unless you have been a part of something like that where to know like, oh, this person is a leader. They may not be the best, but they provide some intangible stuff. And I understand, I know this is just like the, oh my gosh, talent produces results. Shut up, you idiot. Um, I get it. But Simmons still produces. And I think that if this team is to go on a run, if they are to be at the trade deadline, let's say this team is, you know, second, third place in the Metro, where I think they're probably going to end up. Um, I'd say lean more towards third, probably, you know, I, I don't know. But maybe wild card spot. But if they're there, if they're fighting for the playoffs, and if they're considering making a run, depending on what's going on with the goalie situation, to me, I think Simmons at that point becomes more valuable to the team on ice and in the locker room then he is valuable to the organization in terms of what return they can get for him via trade. Now, if you're telling me that a team calls up and is like, they want to give us an impact player, someone, you know, let's say, but again, that has to make sense with Hexall's long-term vision. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I was really hopeful that, you know, Simmons could turn into someone like Dougie Hamilton or I don't know. Like I, at this point, I just don't know of the right situation where a team is going. Unless, I mean, you could even say maybe you trade Simmons to Carolina, um, you know, with, for like Skinner or something like that as a rental. But then, uh, but that's just not the type of move that I see Hextall making. So I'm trying to be real, like actually be realistic about this. And so I just don't see Hextall making a trade like that. So. Again, like I and I, in all honesty, I mean, unless he's having an absolutely stellar season, and we're just not sure of that yet, then I don't really know. Like I don't know what the return is going to be for Simmons. Now, if it's if it's a bunch of future picks and prospects that you hope pan out, I think yeah. If we're like if we're not even close to a wild card spot at the trade deadline, and we're really struggling, um, you know, in the on ice performance at you know, especially like at even strength and um, the penalty kill struggle and the power play struggling and, and we're struggling as a team, I think that, yeah, at that point, maybe you look to say, hey, Simmons, we thank you for your services. Uh, we're going to move on from you because we can't come to an agreement on your contract and you want too much money and you want too much term and we're going to recoup some assets for you. And at that point, like I won't be as upset I mean I'll be upset either way to see the guy go but if they trade him in the middle of a run I think what it does to the locker room I think what it does to the guys on the team and and how it affects the on ice performance because of that I think if you're in the middle of a run he's too valuable to do that no matter what the return is unless of I mean listen barring something crazy where the Boston Bruins call you up and say yo we want Simmons here's Pasternak okay you give me David Pasternak for David Simmons, or yeah, for David Wayne Simmons. I'm gonna do that nine times out of nine, and then ten times out of ten, you know, you offer me McDavid, I'll take McDavid. Um, obviously, that's like no brainer. So, and that's the kind of deal where it would be like, yeah, it makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is if you're in the middle of this this you know playoff push, and then you 
you trade him off for assets just for the sake of trading him, that to me, I'm not okay with. So, and that's not the type of thing that I think Hextall is going to do. I think he's very sensitive to the players and what they want and what's going on in, in their heads and what they really want going on in the locker room. So, because that's important, the team chemistry aspect of this and the value of having a player like that who, you know, yes, he may be falling off a little bit in terms of his play, but when it comes to, you know, the actual players in the locker room feeding off of his leadership, I think there's there's value in that. There really is, especially when you're making playoffs. So let's say having Simmons gets you a first-round playoff victory, you do that. Like, you take that. And then if he leaves in the offseason, then okay. Okay, if you can't come to terms to an agreement, okay. At least then you're opening up more cap space. Because um, I think if they're – I mean, I imagine they're trying to re-sign him. It, it, at this point, I just don't – I don't think – it doesn't sound like they're close because I think if they were, um, you know, then maybe – I don't know. Maybe it would have happened already. I guess he's probably looking for either more term or more money than they're willing to give him. I would go like three years. I, oh gosh, three years at like six million, maybe six point five. But I don't know. Like I just don't know if he's gonna. He's probably gonna want six, seven years. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, moving on. Love you, Wayne Train. Um, sign for a hometown discount, please. Um, all right, so let's move on to projected lineups. Um, and I got a few different iterations of this that I want to go through um, because there's a lot of variables at play here for this year. So as of right now, with, with the current forward group that's in place, I'm going to break this down first forwards, then we'll do defensemen. Um, so there's a lot of ifs surrounding the forwards and a couple surrounding the defensemen as well. Um, but a lot of ifs. The first if is if Frost or Vorobiev make the team. So Morgan Frost, Mikhail Vorobiev or Misha Vorobiev make the team. Let's say that happens. So either scenario here, my top six is the same. So I have the first line, if you want to call it that, um, Giroux at left wing, Couturier at center, Konechny at right wing. I think when you look at Konechny's 5-on-5s like, stats across the board, whether you're looking at his goals, his point totals, his underlying you know, metrics, they're all phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, he had – when he played – when they were playing as this top line, his numbers were absolutely insane, and I'm, I just, I couldn't believe when they. I guess it had a lot to do with Simmons, and they were trying to protect him, because um, he was struggling towards the end of the year, really bad. Um, so I, I guess that's the reason why they moved connecting off that top line was to give them a jump. Um, but they have to reunite this line to start the season. They have to. Um, second line, I have. JVR is your left wing. Patrick is your center. Voracek is your right wing. Uh, I think it, I mean, that just kind of makes sense. Patrick and Voracek had a lot of chemistry together. Uh, JVR, he, you know, when you have 
the possession monster possession monster that Voracek is, and Patrick, who we're going to talk about his second half of the season a little bit, but if you get the Patrick from the second half of last season and the way that he was distributing the puck, the way that he was possessing the puck and making plays at insane speeds, you put JVR on a line with them, he's going to score, I mean, he has to score 40 goals this year. Like, I... He, he scored 36 goals, 25 at even strength, 11 on the power play with limited ice time. JVR had very limited ice time last year. Um, so actually, I have it right here. Yeah, so even strength goals, 25. Power play, he scored 11. Uh, he had f- nine even strength assists and nine power play assists for a total of 54 points. His time on ice, he had just just a hair over 1,200 minutes at 14.54 a night. Um, And that includes power play. So the average second liner is probably around like 11 to 1,200 just at even strength, not including power play time where he should get it. Depending on which unit he's on, I'd say probably like 150 to 200. I mean, no, maybe maybe 100 to 150 minutes. Um, Yeah, so I... You know, you give him ice time on that line, he's going to flip and score. He's going to score some some serious goals. Um, so I think you have to do that. Then this is where things get interesting. So the bottom six, I think no matter what, you have Lindblom on the left wing and you have Simmons on the right wing. The 3C, if Frost or Vorobiev were to make this team, they're going to be the 3C. I don't see it. I don't see them coming here and playing 4C. I just, I don't think they would do that. I think if one of them is going to make it, they're going to give them the ice time. Um, And they're, you know, built into into that role. So I think Frost or or Vorobiev, if they make the team, are your 3C. And then the fourth line, I kind of go back and forth on because. So, all right, so we got Jeru, Kachuria, Konechny. JVR, Patrick Voracek, Lindblom, Frost, slash Vorobiev, Simmons, um, wh- whichever of them makes the team. I think Vorobiev probably has the better shot as it stands right now. Uh, but Frost, I mean, he can make a case. He beefed up a little bit, and he put on about, I think, like 12, 13 pounds. So he's around 185 now. He's about the size of Drew. So it's just learning how to use that size is very important. So he's going to have to do that. But, I mean, if listen, he can make, a, he can make his case in camp. Uh, he has the ability and he has the size now to do it. He's just got to put it all together, and that's it. So fourth line, um, if Frost or Vorobiev is your 3C, I think Lawton becomes your 4C. Now there's a lot of ways that this can go. So this is my ideal lineup. I think I would start with Wheel, Lawton, and Raffle. I know a lot of people want to get the honeybees back together. They want to put Taylor Lear back on that line. And listen, I love Taylor Lear as a human being. Um, and I just think you need someone on that line who has a bit more skill. Um, and really it's just because I, like the honeybees, their possession numbers and their metrics and their advanced stats were off the charts. Like they were, I think they played 160 minutes together at even strength for the first, you know, half of the season. 
and they were lights out, I mean, with driving play. Like, they were insane. I think their Corsi 4 percentage, um, which if, you're, if you don't know, Corsi 4 is basically it just measures shot attempts for and against. It's like a plus minus for shot attempts. Um, an average Corsi is like 50%. I think their score-adjusted Corsi 4 percentage was like 57.19, which was the highest on the team for the first half of the season. Now, the bad part is that did not translate into goals whatsoever. Their goals 4 percentage was in the the 30s and was just really, really bad. And their goal-based results were awful, and which didn't make any sense because they were – like, and you watched it, you, like the eye test, you were like, man, these guys are, they're driving play, they're getting shots, they're, they're defending, but the goalies had like an 89% save percentage, um, and they, it just, the, the luck I think was really bad, but I also think it had to do with the fact that, like, Lear, Lawton, and Raffle, there's just not a lot of finishing skill there. It's a lot of, like, skating around, and we can possess the puck, and we can get shots towards the net, but there's not a lot of like high end skill. So I think if you insert someone like Wheel, who has a little bit more ability, like he can play up in the lineup, you throw someone like that in there, I think it lends a little bit better towards, you know, what that line can achieve and in terms of their goal based results. So but I don't know. Maybe you put Lear back there, maybe it really was just bad luck because their shooting percentage was really low. Their save percentage was really low on the ice. So I think, you know, their PDO was like a 93, which is literally like the like the lowest it can almost possibly be. Uh, I mean, at, at even strength. So, I, you know, for me, I think, you know, yeah, if you, but there's any, there's so many ways you can go with that. Um, and, you know, Hackstall is going to have his way. And that means, you know, Laterra and Weiss. I think Weiss is in the press box no matter what, possibly even waived. I, you know, they didn't really give him the, the light of day until the playoffs, and that was just to shake things up. So, um, yeah, and Laterra, I mean, listen, I don't have his stats up in front of me. I'm, I don't feel like diving into the dude's advanced stats. Um, just not something I feel like doing right now. Um, he looked better towards the end of the year. I can go off my eye test and say that he looked – like halfway decent. I don't think it was anything special, um, but he was serviceable. If he's your 4C, I'm not going to be mad about it. Um, which brings me to the next, you know, I guess lineup for the up front that you could have conceivably. Let's say Frost and Vorobiev don't make the team um, out of camp. Frost goes back to juniors. Vorobiev needs another year of seasoning in the AHL for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Um, again, top six the same. So Drew, Couturier, Konechny, JVR, Patrick Voracek. And then your third line, I'm going to say that Lawton is probably my optimal third line if Frost or Vorobiev don't make the team. I do not see them putting Laterra in that role. Uh, Hextall specifically mentioned Lawton and Wheel. Now, I know Wheel played a bit of center, um, you know, prior to his pro experience, and it was kind of just assumed that he would make the shift to wing, but he does have experience at center. He can play center. They may try it. Um, I can't recall if he played center at all last season. If he did, then cool. I don't know how it went because I can't remember if he did. Um, but, yeah, so then I think Lawton becomes your 3C between Lindblom and Simmons, and then you have, you know, 
I think Raffle is the absolute mainstay on the fourth line. And then you can kind of rotate Wheel, Laterra, Lear, Weiss, however you want. I mean, I don't, you know, who knows what the heck Hack's going to do in all honesty. Um, but yeah, so that's my, I guess, my ideal lineup. I would love for Frost or Vorobiev to make a push. Um, and I think uh, next podcast episode, I'm not going to get into power play right now because that's a, a whole other thing with, you know, with JVR, um, where he's going to slot in, where what they think they're going to do with Patrick. Um, I think there, gosh, there's just so much that can, that can go on with that. So we're going to do that in another episode. Um, but then the decor. So another big if is Philippe Myers, because we don't know if he's going to make the team. Now I know that everyone is clamoring and I've said it before. Everyone wants this guy to make the team because they don't want Andrew McDonald to play anymore. I understand it. I'm not a McDonald fan. I don't, he didn't have a bad year last year. Um, he, the problem with McDonald is his usage by Hackstall when he's playing top pair minutes and just wrecking everybody that he's playing with. And there, he's just an anchor out there being carried around by whoever he's stuck with. But as a sixth, as a fifth, sixth, you know, third pair defenseman, I, he's not that bad. So I think he had an okay, okay year last year because he kind of got shifted out of being the top pairing anchor that he was. They started having him play more, you know, second and third pair minutes. When he was put with Sandheim, they actually played pretty decent together. The goal-based results weren't all that great, but um, their underlying metrics are pretty good. So that's something I could see them exploring. I'm going to say that Myers doesn't make the team simply because this guy has been riddled with injuries all through juniors um, and even last year in his first pro season. Um, his last year of juniors, he actually, I believe, I don't know if he played every game, but he played most, uh, and he had a phenomenal year. Uh, last year, he had the groin injury going on and just a couple nagging things that kept him out of the lineup. He only has, you know, I think like 50 regular season games under his belt at pro. So I just don't know if he's ready to make that professional jump. I think they want to see him play an entire maybe not an entire season, but an entire stretch of games where he can stay healthy, where he can be effective, where he can play his game, and then, you know, the first injury that happens, Myers is up. So I'm going to go my first ideal lineup because I don't think Myers is going to make the team for the, uh, for the decor. I'm keeping the top pair together of Provorov and Gostaspair, obviously. Um, that's an elite top pairing defenseman. I think this year they're going to be even better. So I'm keeping them together. Second pair, there's a lot of debate here because Sandheim and McDonald played pretty well together. And I think that that would be a somewhat safe pick. But then your bottom pair is like garbage because then your bottom pair is Gudis and Hag. And we all know how that worked. And it didn't. Uh, that was just a busted pair of defensemen. Um so I'm going to throw Sandheim and Gudis as the second pair and then have McDonald and Hag be my third pair. And Folin is your, your depth guy. Um, Sandheim and Gudis, I, see, I think Gudis had a really – he had an okay first half of the season. He had a really bad second half of the season. 
his underlying numbers weren't that great. His PDO was pretty bad. Um, um, and his goal-based results were pretty bad. But I think he's going to trend more in the direction of his overall career numbers. If he can get back to being slightly the goodest that he previously was before all the suspensions and having to tone his game down, if he can find a good happy medium there, um, I think he becomes much more effective. And I think in that way, with this lineup on the def- on the defense, you load up that top four and play the third pair as little as possible. Will Haxtell do this? Um, gosh, I don't know. Probably not. Um, but either way, like I can see either option, so I'm not going to be frustrated. Maybe I will be frustrated. I will be frustrated if McDonald is on the second pair with Sandheim. But I think you got to give Sandheim and Gudis a shot and then see where it goes. If Meyer somehow does make this team, um, he will definitely get the AMAC treatment, 100%. Um, so I think your top pair stays the same with Provorov and Gossespierre. I think your second pair then becomes Sanheim and Hag slash Gudis. Um, now here's the thing with Myers making the team. They're going to have to move somebody because Folin just signed as your seventh guy. So he's your depth guy. Um Anyone else, they're going to have to wave to either send the Lehigh Valley or trade. So that would be Hag, Gudis, or McDonald. Um, I, do, I mean, Hag would definitely get claimed. Gudis would, I mean, I think definitely get claimed. McDonald, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if he'd get claimed. Um, I'm sure a team out there who's desperate for defense might. Um Sorry, I had to sip some water. I'm rather parched. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if – see, I don't – this is why I think Myers making the team is kind of up to injuries and not so much, you know, him playing his way on. If they if he plays his way onto the team, they're going to have to make a move. But so whoever's not gone, I think they would likely have to trade either Hag or Gudis. Um, I think whoever's left is your – you know, who you pair with Sandheim. And then McDonald and Myers is your third pair because I don't think they're going to put a pair of Sandheim and Myers together, um, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But I just don't see Haxtell doing that based on how he treats rookies and ice time and all that stuff. So now the hypothetical, okay, well, if Myers makes the team and Hack isn't the coach, what would my ideal lineup be? Um, so... My ideal decor, let's say Hack is not the coach and Myers makes the team, um, because I believe if Hack isn't the coach, then Meyer is, Myers is making the team. We'll go Provorov and Ghost. I call him Provy Ghost. That's my nickname for that D pair, Provy Ghost. Uh, Sandheim and Myers. And McDonald, Hag, Gudis, Folin, whoever, doesn't even matter. Sandheim and Myers played... A, Pretty much, I mean, whenever they were in the on the Phantoms together at the same time, they were together as a pairing. So, yeah, it would make sense to put them together. They have a lot of chemistry. They play really, really well together. They dominated in the AHL when they were together. So I think you would keep them together, and that's what I would go with. Uh, so, yeah, so that's it. And I think, you know, with that lineup, I think you're looking at probably – I don't know if second in the Metro is attainable. Well, maybe. See, I don't know. 
We'll touch on Pittsburgh in a little bit. I'm really curious about them and how they're going to do this year. Um, obviously, I'm biased, and I want them to, to fall on their face, but I just don't know with their signings. I mean, gosh, with their, but we'll get to that. So I think with this lineup, even with Hackstall making some curious moves, we'll see. It remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I think second isn't out of reach, but it's going to be tough. Third, I think, is definitely doable. Wild card for sure. Um, and that's that. So depending on injuries and, and all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, I was going to talk about Nolan Patrick because, man, I'm like I'm really excited about Nolan Patrick this year based on his second half of the season. Um, I actually wrote um, a fan post. I just said that's so weird. A fan fan post. Fan post. Fan? Fan? Whatever. Fan post for on uh, BroadStreetHockey.com. Um, now, obviously, you know, we're not affiliated with Broad Street Hockey, um, but I just like to contribute, um, you know, to what they got going on. They're awesome people. And, you know, if you're not following them, you know, on all the ways that you can on Instagram and Twitter and uh, wherever else they're they're doing stuff, um, you know, they have their the Broad Street Hockey Radio, which is an amazing Flyers podcast, um, a great crew. Um, I, you know, they run an awesome website, broadstreethockey.com, uh, and they run a fan post section. And I wrote an article on Nolan Patrick and uh, – put it in the fan post section and it actually got featured, which was pretty cool uh, as their flyers fan Friday. Um, so go ahead and read that. Cause I next, I think the next podcast that's going to be what we're going to touch on. Cause we're, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it with this episode just cause it's summer and I don't know how much more news there's going to be. So, but yeah, so go ahead and read that if you want. Um, you just go to their website, go to the fan post section. It's, I believe it's also right on their homepage right now as a feature, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, his second half was really, really encouraging. He made an insane turnaround. So I'm really intrigued by what he's got going on for this year with a fully healthy off season to train and get ready. Um, just super, super excited for him. So yeah, so let's, uh, let's hit on some stuff around the league cause some things happened. Um, let me real quick, just see how much time I'm working with. Oh, we're good. We got some time here. Um, so John Tavares, he was the biggest free agent coming into this offseason. Um, he, you know, the Islanders had asked him, you know, during the middle of last season, like, hey, uh, what are you going to do? You going to stay with us? You going to leave? What you doing? And he said, nah, don't trade me. I want to stay. Whoa, that was a really loud car. Did you hear that? Yeah. So, yeah, so John Tavares, they asked him, are you going to stay? Are you going to go? What are you doing? He says, nah, don't trade me. I want to stay here. I want to be an Islander. Uh, Offseason comes around. Lou Lamorello leaves the Maple Leafs. Um, he does not exercise his option to be the whatever operations vice executive, whatever he was going to be there. Um, and then he comes into the New York Islanders, uh, organization and basically cleans house. And he comes in as the, I don't even know what his title is. Something probably president of hockey operations or something stupid. Uh, and then fires Garth Snow and Doug Waite. 
Um, at first, I thought that was a move that signified that Tavares was staying. Reason being, I thought that I didn't think that Lou, a Hall of Fame, you know, how many cups has he won? Two, I think. Maybe three. Um, I didn't think that would be a, a move that Lou Lamariello would make. I don't know how to say is, is it. It's just Lamarello. Lamariello? Lamarello. We're going with Lammy. Uh, so it's just not a thought. It's not a move that I thought Lou would make if Tavares didn't want him to make it because I thought that the whole point of bringing Lamarello in was that they wanted to keep Tavares and he was going to be able to do it. Now, I guess I was wrong. Obviously, I was wrong. I think there's reports out there that Tavares even said, hey, like, that was not what I wanted, and it's part of the reason I'm leaving. So Tavares says, sorry, guys, I know I said I didn't want to be traded, but this guy comes in here and he fires my coach and he fires my GM. I'm not happy about it. Peace out. And he signs with the Maple Leafs. And I got to say, I didn't see it coming. I, you know, the last episode, I really thought that it was going to come down to the only way he was going to be a Leaf is if he signed the one-year max contract, um, which I thought there was about a 1% chance of that happening. Um, I thought that he was going back to the island. Like, I was like 90% certain about that. And if he didn't go there then I was pretty sure it was going to be either Tampa Bay or San Jose. The Leafs were not even on my radar. And lo and behold, he ends up going to Toronto. Um, I didn't realize, maybe I guess I didn't read into the fact as much as I should have that that's his hometown. He's from there. He grew up a Leaf fan. And my guess is that Kyle Dubas, their new GM, just went in there and gave him a synopsis of the now and the future because they got a lot of players to resign um that's not going to be easy getting under the cap especially with him now making 11 million dollars so they have some work to do you know with guys like Nylander um and uh Mitch Marner especially um they got to figure out the defense um I think that Tavares honestly I mean last year they were I thought they were very had – had a legitimate shot at contending for the Cup. You add in Tavares to that, and they are a Stanley Cup contender, no doubt about it. The question marks surrounding them, yes, their defense isn't anything to write home about, but their offense is going to be so dang good. Now, granted, they did lose JVR to your Philadelphia Flyers, so that's going to hurt. That's 36 goals that they're going to have to come up with. Tavares should be able to do that. And then Marner should, I mean, man, that, oh, geez. That center depth is just unreal. That's going to be a nightmare for teams. Absolute nightmare. You don't even mind losing Bozak because now Kadri is your 3C. That's pretty awesome. Um, so good on you, Leafs. So, yeah, I, I think it's an awesome fit. I think that they do need to address their defense. But I think Tavares is a great fit there. And I'm actually, I'm really excited to watch them. Um, you know, you put Tavares on that team last year and they definitely get past the Bruins hundred percent. So yeah, I'm really interested to see, to see what the Leafs can do. So it's a good signing by them. Uh, again, I'm really surprised. I didn't anticipate that and I'm wrong, which is, you know, happens a lot. 
Um, the other big story, Eric Carlson, still very quiet on that front. Uh, I really like – so I recently got back into Twitter, which was probably a mistake. Um, and Flyers Twitter is just like blowing up about getting in on this guy. Thankfully, it's calmed down over the last you know week or so. But it's just like, you know, because Eklund put out that rumor that, you know, the Flyers were in hot and heavy on Carlson. I don't think people really understand what it's going to cost to get the guy. So, I mean, we live in this this hypothetical world of, okay, we're going after Carlson. Um, he, he only wants to sign. It's reported that he only wants to sign with Tampa Bay. But if he gets traded right now, the only team he's willing to – sign an extension with is Tampa Bay. So immediately that cuts the cost down because now he's just a one-year rental, and I don't really think that Dorian is going to do that. I don't think he's going to play that game with Carlson, where if he's going to trade him as a rental, it's going to be at the deadline for the absolute you know, best deal he can get, best offer he can get. Right now, if he's trading him to a team in the offseason, uh, yeah, it's going to come at a high price. Um so this was actually another uh, fan post I had on Broad Street Hockey and where I talked about the cost to get Carlson. And I titled it Shane Gossespierre versus Eric Carlson, Deal or No Deal. I got a lot of reaction to this that was like, what are you talking about? Because basically what I came to the conclusion of is that if we're going to get Eric Carlson, it's going to cost us Shane Gossespierre. And here's where I come up with this because – Flyers fans, um, you all remember when we traded for Chris Pronger. So Chris Pronger was 35 years old when we acquired him. So older, you know, and now granted, one of the best ever, Hall of Fame defenseman. But the cost to get Chris Pronger and, you know, Anaheim attached Ryan Dingle to the deal who became an ECHL regular – um, it was a no-name prospect. The cost ended up being Joffrey Lupel, Lucas Spiza, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick. Um, yeah, hindsight's one thing. At the time, Joffrey Lupel was a 20-25 to 25 goal scorer. He was 25 years old. Lucas Spiza was a highly touted defensive prospect, the best prospect in our system, which wasn't saying much. Because our, you know, but still he was he was still like, you know, there was talk about him like, oh, this is he's our number one defenseman. We finally drafted one. Um, I know what he's panned out to be, and I know what Joffrey Lupel has panned out to be. Again, hindsight is what it is. Uh, when you take these players at the value of what they were at the trade, 25-year-old, 20 to 25 goal scoring winger, highly touted prospect, two first round picks, third round pick. So um Similar package, if we were going to send, you know, let's say we're trading for Chris Pronger right now, Travis Konechny, right? He's your, you know, young 20-something, you know, 25 goal scorer. Philippe Myers is your highly touted defensive prospect. First round pick, another first round pick, and a third round pick. Now, some people might be okay with that. And listen, if Carlson's coming here and going to sign an extension – and play here for seven years, I give it some thought. I think Myers is going to be really, really good, and I certainly don't think that we've seen even close to the best of Konechny. And the first-round picks, it's a, it's a big package. But I just, I don't know. I 
I'd think about it. If I was Hextall, I'd think about it. Um, and I would lean, I probably like 52% I'm pulling the trigger on that deal, 48%. Um, think about it for a long time, but ultimately saying no. However, that was for a 35-year-old Chris Pronger. Eric Carlson's 28. He's still, he's still probably the most dynamic and best defenseman in this league um, in terms of offensive production from the back end. So I think the cost is probably going to be a little bit higher. I mean, I think Dorian comes back and says, yeah, that's great and all, but uh, nah. I think I'm going to want a little bit more. So Dorian's counter offer is probably something like, you know, he says uh, Shane Gossespierre, Morgan Frost, and a first-round pick, right? So he's probably going to want an impact defenseman back who's going to step in right now on his team and have an impact on the back end. Uh, he's going to want probably the most highly touted prospect in the system, being Morgan Frost, and he's going to want to pick just in case Frost doesn't pan out. It gives him a chance to, you know, hit on someone else. Uh, I've obviously, and I think most Flyers fans would agree to this, you're hanging up the phone if you're reasonable and logical. Um, and, yeah, so then I think ultimately it probably lands somewhere in between there. Um, so I think that you're looking at an eventual package of, like, Gossespierre, Rubsov, and a first-round pick. Is what's actually going to land you Eric Carlson should he sign an extension. Now, the rental cost, totally different story. Um, if, it's, if it's just futures and maybe – Maybe Philippe Myers. Okay. If it's just a rental, even still though, like I don't know for just a year of Eric Carlson, I just don't think that you do it. Um, and then hope that you can convince him to stay. Um, I dive into a lot of other stuff in that article if you want to go read it. Uh, but for now, I'm not going to get into it because I just, you know what? It's just, I'm tired of talking about Eric Carlson. I'm not going to lie. I'm just tired of it. Uh, so real quick, let's look at the Metro and see how we stack up. Uh, so, because I just, you know, just looking at, you know, the teams and what they've done and what we should expect and maybe what the Flyers are going to, how they're going to fare this year in this division. Uh, let me sip some water real quick. So free agency is kind of over now, aside from like some super depth, you know, contracts and, uh, tryouts offered to some guys. Uh, so let's start with the Devils. Uh, they haven't really done anything. Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I think that um, their their top line is going to be really good. He's sheer. He's a good player. Um, he's a really good player. He actually kind of surprised me this year. Uh, you know, it's going to be fun watching him and Patrick duel it out over the next decade or so. Uh, it's just going to be really cool to watch that. Um, actually, probably more than that. They're, I mean, because they're, what, 20 years old? So 15 years? That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, but... You know, and they have Taylor Hall, reigning MVP, which, you know, you can debate all you want. Uh, who cares? Um, he's a good player. A very good player. And then, yeah, so they haven't really done much. Um, they didn't really sign anybody. They don't really have anything going on. Um, I think they could use some scoring depth. I think outside of their top line, really, I mean, you got to hope for more from Zaka. Uh, for sure. Um, and I just, I mean, you really, I don't know. They need to add some scoring depth, but I think, uh, 
I'm not too familiar with their prospects either, so I won't lie. Like, I mean, you know, I haven't done much research into that. So yeah, I think that they're I think that they're still probably a playoff team unless Carolina really, you know, unless Philly, you know, poops the bed and Carolina gets much better. Um yeah, I think the Devils are definitely a playoff team. Uh probably wild card. They could sneak into that third spot. Uh the Flyers falter. I think right now I think, you know, you tip it to the way of the Flyers, but the Devils, I mean, they're still a good decent team. Um the news about Corey Schneider though, Makes things interesting, um, depending on how readily available he will be at the beginning of the, of the season with his injury. So we'll see what happens. Um, Carolina, let's move on. Carolina. So they picked up Dougie Hamilton and a couple of prospects that we're not sure if they're even going to be with the team. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is an elite defenseman in this league. He should have been considered for the Norris this year. He's phenomenal. I don't care what, if he wants to go to museums, whatever. Um, great player. Carolina did good there. Still, they gave up Hannafin and Lindholm. Uh, it's a lot to give up because, I mean, you're missing, you're a team that struggles to score. He gave up a score, and Hannafin's a good defenseman. Um, he still hasn't reached his peak yet. Uh, but I think the trade off there was pretty, I don't want to say it's even. I mean, Hamilton's really, really good. However, you signed Peter Morazic. Like, uh, so now your goalie tandem is Scott Darling, who was absolutely dreadful last year, and Peter Morazic, who was equally as dreadful. Who are you going to go with? Like, it doesn't matter how good your defense is in front of either of those guys, they can't stop the puck. So unless one of them has, like, an insane resurgence to greatness, actually, I mean, neither of them, I think, have ever really been great. So unless one of them catapults themselves to being great, I don't know. I don't, I don't see Carolina as a playoff team, especially when they're, you know, Skinner's as good as gone. Falk may be traded as well. And, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. What's up with Skinner? What's up with Falk? What's going to go on there? There are... I think at best a wild card shot, um, but I don't see them making the playoffs. Um, Washington. So they just won the cup. Basically the entire team is back and Brooks Orpik and Philip Grubauer are gone. Other than that, they really haven't done anything. So yeah, so I don't see any reason why they shouldn't still be a contender. A lot is going to depend on Trotz leaving. Um, the fact that Trotz left. So their new coach, the, his name escapes me right now, um, who's been part of the coaching staff, though. I mean, he basically just got promoted to head coach. So he's been in the system. He knows the team. He knows the guys. He knows the management. He knows what's going on. Uh, he's probably close with Ovechkin and Backstrom in the leadership core. Uh, so, yeah, I think they're still, you know, they're going to fight for Pittsburgh for that first or second spot. Um, which brings me to Pittsburgh because I think – See, it's such a tough case because you I can't argue the fact. I mean, Sidney Crosby, for my money, I mean, he's still – you can argue McDavid, but, I mean, they're pretty much 1A, 1B in terms of who's the best player in the world right now. Malkin is still very, very good. Phil Kessel, 92-point season. I mean, my gosh, did not expect that from him. Will he do it again? I don't know. I mean, their penalty kill is pretty good. 
They did resign Alexiak, I th- who I think is like okay. I think they, I don't know, he's all right. Um, but the question I want to ask is about Jack Johnson and Matt Cullen. Um, so Jack Johnson, we all know the story and what's going on and the fact that he won it out of Columbus and then, you know, I know he had this family situation going on and the financial situation and he's good friends with Crosby, but Jack Johnson has not been good since basically his first year in the league. Uh, he had, you know, a decent year and then since then he's never had good possession metrics. He's never had good point totals. He's never had good um, goal-based metrics. I mean, nothing. He's done nothing well at all in any way, shape, or form. He's not a good hockey player. Um, and I think maybe they're just going to hope to bury him in that defense, but I like the defense just isn't that great. Again, though, I, can't, I just can't rule him out. Matt Murray is a good goaltender. Um, and... The forward core is still deep, so I th- would have to think that they're either going to – I still think I put Washington 1 and Pittsburgh 2. But, I mean, if you know if Carlson for Washington isn't John Carlson he was this past year, then maybe that changes. Um, and, you know, Hopi's really going to have to be Hopi for that to happen. And this is hockey. I mean, random things happen. It's very hard to predict what's going to go on. But, yeah, I still think Pittsburgh is at the top. Um, one, two with Washington, uh, and Matt Cullen, I, I mean, listen, he's 41 years old. Um, if you're expecting him to play three C, uh, gosh, um, I don't know. I mean, when the only good thing you can say about a guy, oh, he's good, great at faceoffs. I mean, that's like fantastic, but can you do anything else? Like, can you skate still? Cause that's important, especially in today's NHL. I don't know. The addition of Matt Collin and Jack Johnson, I just don't see it being enough to, you know, put them as the legitimate, you know, number one seed in the Metro, but they're going to fight for it. Um, I could see them dropping to three, but that's very unlikely. I just, you know, unless the Flyers or Devils really, really make a push, I see, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, New York Rangers, rebuilding. What else can you say? Uh, they didn't really add anybody. They had a pretty decent draft. They got my guy, Vitaly Kraftsov. Um, uh, they'll be good in a few years, but Lundqvist is pretty much, I mean, he's kind of hanging out on an island by himself. Matt Zuccarello is still there. We'll see how long that lasts. And yeah, they're still bad. They're still a bad team. So they're going to fight with the New York Islanders for last spot. And they will certainly be in the Jack Hughes sweepstakes, I would imagine. Um, they'll be close to it. But I think the favorite for that right now is looking like the last team in the Metro, and that's the New York Islanders. They are 100% tanking. Like, absolutely. They're 100% tanking. Um, so Lou Lammer, we talked about this earlier. You know, Lou, Lou Lammy comes in and is like, I'm just going to, you know, totally blow this thing up. Um, Lou's in the Hall of Fame, I think, is a builder. I don't know, actually. Uh, so Lou's in the Hall of Fame as a general manager. He's got a couple cups. Um, and a lot of people just really love him. And I actually posted 
on our Instagram today about what I was going to be talking about, and I got a lovely response from uh, Austin's good friend, Mike Volpio, and he was excited to hear what I had to say because Volp is a big Devils fan. Uh, so congratulations on your team making the playoffs last year, Volpio. Good for them. Uh, but Lamarello, he was he was very interested to hear what I had to say about Lammy because obviously Devils fans are going to, you know, they he brought him a couple cups. So obviously they're very, very happy about that. Um, here's my stance on on Lammy. So I'm not necessarily so sure that all of those Stanley Cups and, you know, elite seasons had to do with him as much as it was the fact that you had Hall of Famers up and down that lineup. I mean, you had Marty Brodeur in that best goalie of all time. You can argue that if you want to. I mean, I I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, you had him in net. You had Scott Niedermeyer. I mean, you had John Stevens. You had all these flipping guys who are really good at hockey. You can go look at those lineups and just be like, man, these were some damn good Devils teams. And, I, you know, how much did Lou have to do with that? I mean, yeah, he drafted Brodeur. Um he made some good moves, but then I look at his recent track record, and this is where things get a little screwy for me. So, as it, towards the end of his tenure with the Devils, you know, Zach Parisi's coming up to free agency, and he basically is just like, nah, man, go out and explore. Go, go take a look at, uh, at other teams. Like, no, your best player you re-sign him. Like, that's what you do. You re-sign your best players because that's what you do. If you're a good general manager, that's what you do. You sign your best players. Parisi walks. So you're telling me that, like, and now, I, I okay, I get it. Maybe he was leaving no matter what, but he let him go for nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. Like, have a conversation with your guys and be like, hey, like, should we trade you? Should we not trade you? What do you want to happen here? He basically just told him, yeah, here's your offer. And now go test the free agent market. And if the offers that you're getting elsewhere uh, make more sense for you than whatever. But like he, it didn't seem like he really tried to convince him to stay. I would have been like, hey, if I understand you want to go home with Ryan Suter. But could you imagine if Suter came here and you convinced him to come here? How cool that would be? How awesome that would be? Parisi? That's what I would have done. Now, again, I don't know really what he did, but so he, he lets Parisi walk. Okay. Well, then the whole Kovalchuk debacle happens um, where, you know, they sign him to this massive contract and then he bails. He straight up bails on your team to go to the KHL to go home to Russia and leaves you hanging and you get penalized for it. And now he comes back. I mean, you lost him for nothing. Then he goes to the Maple Leafs. He basically, you know, he he has Dubas training under him, and all this stuff is is going on. They the team essentially, you know, falls apart, and they tank and they get Austin Matthews, and then yeah, he eventually got them a goal in Frederick Anderson. Um, I just 
to me, like his his goal was just to tank the team and get the best players, and then you know start building them up. And then it's like, okay, well that's fantastic. Then he, for some reason, the Maple Leafs are like, yeah, we're not going to make you GM, but you know we're not going to you know if you don't you're just going to be moved shifted to this position. We're going to hire a GM, which ended up being Kyle Dubis. He says no, I want to go somewhere else, and he goes to the Islanders. Now. Goal number one was probably to re-sign Tavares. And apparently he was having conversations with Tavares. Now, first conversation I have with him is, hey, Tavares, what's it going to do to keep you here? Because that's what I'm going to do. So if he tells me, well, I'd really prefer if Doug Waite stayed as my head coach. The last thing I would do is fire Doug Waite as the head coach of the team. What does he do? He fires Doug Waite. Um, Bad move, Lou. Bad move. He then so here's where I here's the split right because he has he has the results he's won he appears as a good GM here's the split he's either a genius or he's a total idiot because what he did to the Islanders is I mean my gosh they have to be the worst team in the league I know Ottawa's bad but they still have as of right now they still have Eric Carlson. They have Mark Stone. Um, you know, the goalie wants out of there. Craig Anderson wants out. But, yeah, Ottawa's pretty bad. But the Islanders are bad. And not only are they bad, but he made them worse this with this offseason. So he lets Tavares – well, maybe he doesn't let Tavares walk, but he was unsuccessful in keeping Tavares on the island. So he walks. He then – Let's Calvin DeHaan walk. So unsuccessful at bringing him back. So you've lost your only good defenseman because their defense is absolute crap. Um, and you lost your best forward. What are you doing? Well, then, right, so let's look at their, their defense. Johnny Boychuk, who has a no-move clause, he's 34 years old and he has... $6 million cap hit for the next four years. Uh, you got Nick Letty, who's $5.5 million cap hit for four more years. Uh, Thomas Hickey. Huh? Adam Pellick. Scott Mayfield. I like. So you let the Han walk. Tavares goes. And then. And listen. Philpula is a good name, but that's all you're paying him for is his name. You signed Valtteri Philpula, giving him a full no-movement clause for $2.75 million for one year. Now, granted, it's only a one-year deal, but you gave him a full no-move clause, and he literally, so the Flyers last year, uh, for lines that were together at 5 versus 5, we're going to do a little advanced stat thing here for lines that were together for 100 plus minutes at at five on five the three worst lines in an adjusted Corsi four percentage all featured Valtteri Filpula and only one of them was a positive and that's only with the score adjustment in there Filpula sucks at hockey he can't skate if he has the puck on his stick with 10 feet of ice around him, no defenders, 
and he can sit there and visualize what's going on and make a play, he's good. Outside of that, if it involves skating or evading defenders or moving the puck at high speeds, he can't do any of that anymore, and that's the only thing that he was ever really good at. Since he can't do that anymore, now he just sucks. So you actively make the team worse. Then you go out and you get Matt Martin. You sign him for $2.5 million in two years. Matt freaking Martin. I mean, what does he do aside from just skate around on the ice looking for people to beat up? He does nothing. And then you sign Jan Kovar out of the KHL. Now, listen, he's 28 years old. He's been a point-per-game player in the KHL. Last year, though, really down year. And you know why? Because he lost a really highly skilled winger. And he's one of those guys who is a complementary piece. He is not the centerpiece. So... Yeah, I I don't know how well he's going to fare, especially I don't I just don't know how well he'll fare there just given the fact that there's really no skill around him. So, it's a really I don't know. It's a really odd odd signing for them. Um there's probably better places Kovar could have gone to succeed more, to have some more skill around him. But whatever. Uh and then you sign flipping Ross Johnston. He's 24 years old. He is he sh- should basically be a career AHLer. You sign him for four years at a million dollar cap hit. Oh man, like what are you doing? What are you doing? And he gave him a one way deal. Like he can't even be sent down to the minors. So, or at least I don't think so. No, he's not waiver exempt. So, yeah. So Ross Johnson, uh, yeah, career AHLer at 24 years old already. Just not a good player. Gets four years at a million-dollar cap hit. This is where my split is. Because this team is going to suck. If I, I swear if they're not last in the division and last in the league, I will be absolutely shocked. And you can call me wrong and call me an idiot. But that lineup is just atrocious. And I know, like, Everly's okay. Um, Andrew Ladd, eh. He's 32. He's still got a lot of a lot of time left on that deal. Um, Josh Bailey, okay. Um, Anders Lee, good. Uh, and Barzal. So you really got to hope that Barzal steps his game up uh, because and and Anthony Bolivier or Bavillier, um, they're really going to have to push to to not be in last place, and you're going to waste a few of their their young years there. So. This is where the split is, though, because let's say the Islanders now, all right, so you tank the crap out of them, and they end up with Jack Hughes. Okay, now I see what you did, Lou. And now you've got a, a core of Matthew Barzal, Jack Hughes, Anthony Bavillier, uh, and you can even throw Brock Nelson. Eh, he's all right. Uh, Anders Lee, you know, Okay, you got some really good young pieces in there, but you're still missing an entire defense, and you're still missing a goalie. Uh, they signed Robin Leonard. Um, holy crap, that's a helicopter. Hope we're not at war. Um, so you sign Robin Leonard. You have Thomas Grice. That's your tandem. You're just ultimately they're going to suck. So listen, if his if Lou's goal here is to tank and to get Jack Hughes, good on him. Uh, you're doing a great job. And you know what? Maybe you're smarter than everybody else. But, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, I just I can't see. I just don't see it. I don't see what he's doing here, and that has to be it. That has to be the case. That's the only case I can make for Lou for Lou Lammy. And to be honest, I just don't think that. I think at this point he's just too much of a hockey guy, and he has not changed enough with the game. Um, you know, he gives Leo Komarov a deal. He gives Matt Martin a deal. You know, I. You can't make those deals in today's NHL. And I think that he is stuck in the late 90s, early 2000s version of the NHL, uh, which, you know, he succeeded in. But sorry, man, it's 2018, and you got to get with it. And it's just not the way you build hockey teams. But, hey, again, maybe I don't understand the term that he gave to some of these guys. If, you know, tanking is your idea of what you got to do, then I don't know why you're giving out, you know, three, four-year contracts to guys who should be playing in the AHL at best. But I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see what the master plan is. But, uh, yeah, so I guess that's all we have for, uh, for this week on Broad Street Hooligans. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, as always, if you know, feel free to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, whatever. Uh, you know, just search Broad Street Hooligans. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at PKBurrito. Um, also on Twitter at Paul Kohler underscore P-A-U-L-K-O-H-L-E-R underscore. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, that's all we really got. So until next time, uh, let's go Flyers. Thank you for listening to Broad Street Hooligans Radio, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Broad Street Hooligans which is the best place to give feedback, ask questions, and stay up to date with all things related to what we have going on. And, as always, let's go Flyers!